when I look at the political landscape and the economic landscape of the world, I really have a difficult time accepting that this is what life should be. They had so many concerns about education, technology, agriculture, biomedia, health, the environment. You, you will be so surprised as to what they are engaged in. If we can do that, we can walk on that path, we will find a lot of solutions, we'll find a lot of adventures, we'll find a lot of answers. We need to foster that entrepreneurial spirit. No judgment, no negativity, all good vibes and conversations. All of this and more, right here on Grassroots Radio. Hello, podcast fans, and welcome to another episode of Grassroots Radio. The podcast all about showcasing and highlighting the positive side of life and youth culture right here in Antigua and Barbuda. I'm your host, Unique Bird, and this week our featured guest is Trey Thomas. Trey is an entrepreneur by nature. He went through almost his entire school life unintentionally starting small businesses, which almost always included art of some form. Now, Trey is an architectural designer, a self-taught CGI artist, and a poet working on his very first book. This week, I have a couple of announcements before we get into the interview. Number one is that we will be starting our coaching circles very soon. These are weekly virtual sessions conducted over the internet, and they're for anyone who is seeking mentorship or simply wants to widen their perspective on challenges they're facing in life and in work. So if that description fits you, this is the place for you and something that you want to get involved in. More information on the coaching circles can be found in the show notes below, as well as information on how to sign up for those. Looking forward to seeing lots of you there. Second is our National Youth Survey. This year, the New Grassroots will be celebrating our nation's independence by launching a National Youth Survey. We feel that youth voices are often unheard or ignored, and we're doing something to change that. The goal of the survey is not just to hear what young people are saying and what they want for the future. It's also meant to give direction and priority to the activities and solutions that NGR will be developing in 2020 and beyond. So be on the lookout for when we launch that survey. And of course, more info can be found in the show notes below. Thank you all once again for your continued support of this podcast and the new grassroots in general. We appreciate it more than you will ever know. And now here is our interview with Trey Thomas. Hello, my name is Trey Thomas. I am 26 years old. I am a architectural designer and CGI artist. And personally, I am working on creating interactive 3D scenes, uh, VR scenes. And I am also in the process of writing a short poetry book, which is nerve-wracking. Let's start with the architecture. Tell me how you first got involved with that. Okay, so I grew up enjoying art, loving art, I should say. Um, and But it, it's never something, art as a career choice is never something that, almost never something that parents support. Um, right. It's not necessarily the most stable of, career choices mm-hmm. but with that uh it eventually led me to architecture uh one day we had career day at school 
And it was just like, the only thing there that I was interested in, would be interested in, was architecture. And creator came, and this guy, this architect is speaking, and he's explaining what he does. He expounds upon everything. And at the end of it, he just pulls out this <laughs> built 3D model, scaled model. And after I saw it, I was just like, okay, I'm ready. Where do I say? <laughs> yeah, so I was I was 15 by the time I was essentially right. I knew that I wanted to do architecture. And this would have been when you were at the Antigua Grammar School? No, I had changed schools at that point. I was at the Seventh-day Adventist School. My cousin's also an architect, so there was there was some influence in, in that degree, but it was definitely that day. That day was the seal deal. From that point, from the point of inspiration where you're like, this is what I want to do, what was your next step? How did you take that first step into starting to become what you had decided you wanted to become? Um, first step. Well, my first step would have been to do technical drawing in school, which I didn't do so well, at, if I'm being very honest. <laughs> um, so technical drawing was the first step. Uh, after that, it would have been to go to a college that would have allowed me to further my education. Uh, but fun fact, I didn't get to go to that college until two years after because I was demanded to go to the Antigua State College for some strange reason. You were um, demanded? So that was your parents was, insisted? Yeah, <laughs> to go to the Antigua State College. Um, and I did accounting there, essentially. That's, that's what I focused on. Oh. So I had to wait two years, literally, um, to begin further this journey that I had begun and I was so excited about. And prior to actually getting into the school that allowed me to do architecture, which was Abbott, um, Antigua Barbuda International Institute of Technology, mm-hmm. prior to that school, I decided that I would teach myself how to teach myself one skill set that I could use as an architect that isn't actually an architect yet. Uh, so I went online and I Googled some stuff and majority of what came up was knowing how to use AutoCAD. I was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to use AutoCAD all by myself. <laughs> and so for the next couple of months, I just crushed that and I learned AutoCAD. Awesome. And you did this just from like watching instructional videos online or did you get books? How did that learning process go? Um, there actually weren't that many videos. The videos didn't help because you, they moved too quickly. What mm-hmm. I did was I read a lot of blog posts. I read a lot of... Um, community documents posted by the AutoCAD. And that's essentially how I, I learned how to use AutoCAD. Did learning that help you in your further studies? Like, was that yeah, something was, that you were employing immediately once you started your program? No, it wasn't. But I was surely ahead of the curve. Because by the time we did, we did get to using the program. I had already assimilated this frame of mind um, of design, I guess. So... The work wasn't as arduous to me as it would have been to other individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up helping a lot of people in class, which taught me a lot myself. So it, it was it was a really good decision. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't def- it wasn't something that was inspired just because oh, I want to learn architecture. It was me kind of trying to find my own way while being in a space that I didn't want to be in. And that space would have been Antigua State College. <laughs> yeah, you weren't really about that life. And you said you studied accounting. How come you didn't pursue like the technical drawing kind of offers that are available there? 
Um, was it one of those you got to do A levels? Not. I did do A levels, but it, it was a situation where the program wasn't really well structured. Based on other pe- people's experiences and what they've told me, I don't think I missed anything. Hmm, okay. What, how long was your program at Abbott? How long did you spend there? I spent um, was it two years. Two years. Okay. And then when you graduated, you had a diploma a, certificate. Diploma. And that essentially prepared you for the world of work. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. So what happened <laughs> no. after that point? Emerging from that institution and not being quite yet prepared for the world of work. I'd have to tell you a story first. So okay. after my first semester of Abit, as I said, I already had to wait two years to get here. And so when I hit the ground, I hit the ground running really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after my first semester, I applied for an internship at um, Andrew Goodenough Architectural Firm. And I kid you not, it was today. It has been the most elaborate <laughs> email I have sent ever to anyone. Um, and that that email got me into that door. Uh, they were surprised as to how much I put into the thought of applying. Um, mm-hmm. They were surprised how much I paid attention to the work that they actually did in the firm. And I quoted maybe like details about one project and they appreciated the fact that I'm making an, a certain effort and not just being like everyone else and just like I want to work here for you guys please. I wonder how did you know to do that I just want to highlight this for other people because employers really do appreciate when you take that time and you notice what they're doing and you can really align your application with what you already know about the firm and the work that they're doing. And so like, you're not just showing that, Hey, I have the skills. You're also showing that I'm eager and I'm noticing stuff. I'm paying attention to the details. How did you know to do that? Was that intuitive or had someone advised you in that direction? It was a mixture of intuition and I guess a bit of mentorship. Um, When I was at the Seventh-day Adventist school, my English teacher in fifth form, she had made it a task of her own to somehow prepare us for the world of work. And one of those things, two of those things were to help us formulate a resume and kind of educate us as to what it may take to get into a door of anybody's work, place of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those things was to pay attention to the details and make fine-tune your application not to create this generic application and just send it everywhere Mm -hmm. Um, if you sit down and you pay some attention to what they're doing they as you said they will appreciate it they will appreciate that initiative that you took and then if you can obviously tell them that you can provide something to their firm or their place of work then that's also a plus that's really good advice by that teacher Tell me a bit about your poetry because the other things that you're doing are quite visual and you said that you always had an interest in art growing up, but yeah. where does the poetry come in? For me, I have a really good imagination. I've always had a terribly vivid imagination. My sister would tell me stories growing up and scary stories and mm-hmm. I would dream about the same night, not even the night <laughs> after. Um, so for me, words uh, always 
I could always like literally see them lift off the page if you'd like to say that. So poetry for me was kind of just like, I think I started maybe when I was like 13. It was just a way for me to, to I guess, vent as a 13-year-old kid. You know, when you're 13, you become a teenager, you want to do all these things that your parents don't let you do. Yep. Um, and you're experiencing all these new things that you don't exactly know what's going on. So that was, that was me being a 13-year-old. But it eventually evolved into this thing where I would see other people's I would take essentially other people's lives and exhibit some form of empathy and put that onto the page. So my poetry definitely isn't always about me. Right. It's a bit of an experiment in taking someone else's perspective. Yeah. Or experience. Yes. Hmm. And it's interesting because I guess for you, words are kind of visual as well. So I'm kind of seeing the overlap there where you're take, using words to create images. How long have you been working on the book? I have unintentionally <laughs> this book. Um, and I'll explain. I've been working on it basically uh, maybe like eight years now. Oh, That's why. Wow. I said, yeah. So um, I eventually started going to this event called Poetry in the Pub. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's? I don't remember what it's called, but it's called Poetry in the Pub. Um, and it got to a point where it was just like, oh, people actually do this here. <laughs> um, people make this public. It's, mm-hmm. it's not something that's looked down upon. It's not strange. It's not an enigma. Um, and I met an author, and she was just like a really cool individual. So she told me that I should definitely consider writing a book. Um, because I think I let her read a piece and she was like, just go for it. And I was just like, how do you, how do you go for something? And you have no idea what you're doing. You, I literally don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I, I've taken the initiative and I've decided to compile, I'd like to say my best ones, um, and just put it out there. I'll be one of your first customers because I... Collect books by Antiguan authors, like, definitely. Um, oh, great. Yeah. I mean, I live in Canada, so that's one of my ways of kind of staying connected. Like, I come down, and I go to Best of Books, and I'm like, okay, what's new? And I get everything I can. I appreciate that. Yeah, you got to support your own, especially when it's young people. And I like what you said about discovering this event where there were other artists, other poets sharing their art with each other, and how it made you see that this wasn't something weird that you were doing in an isolated kind of bubble. Do you find that you had this perception that this was something strange or that people were looked down on prior to having that experience? Yeah. Yeah. Prior to the experience within the Antiguan society, I can say, I definitely thought that it would have been strange. Any form of poetry that I would have come across would have been in a scholarly manner. Um, something that you read in school that was written a century ago or something in church. You know, you've never, I've never personally gone out and just seen someone reading poetry that they've written prior to that point in time. Okay, so I've been asking people this question and it would be interesting to see what your answer is. But why do you think that there appears to be this kind of a bias in our culture against I don't know, like creative pursuits as a profession. 
it seems that if you're someone who wants to be a writer, you want to be a poet, you want to be a painter, um, there's a lot of discouragement that comes from the older generation. Uh, do you have any insights as to, I don't know, why, <laughs> why that is when we're obviously a culture that has a lot of creativity and if we celebrated it more, it seems like we would go further. Instead, it's discouraged. Um, although you say that culturally we are filled with, right? I believe it's not our own society. I'd like to believe it's another, this makes any sense, another individual's or group of people, society imposing their ideas upon ourselves, upon us that we impose upon ourselves. Because for instance, here, and this is speaking as a man, here to be a man, you have to be quote unquote hypermaster. Otherwise, you're not a man. If you're making money, let's say, landscape, doing landscaping, you're a man. If you're making money, let's say, doing literature, maybe not so much. And I'm not, I honestly, I'm, I'm not so sure as to where it came from. I think I've been learning so far, and I'd like to believe this is a generic answer, that slavery has some role to play in this, but I don't know. I, I honestly do not. I just know that I live within this context um, in this society and it's a stigma that we have to break because um, there are individuals who are creatives that are essentially mentally oppressed and they aren't happy because they don't feel comfortable expressing themselves. And one of the things about creative people who can't access their outlet or can't develop their skill is that it can contribute to a lot of mental illness. Like some people are just that way and they need to have that outlet and be able to release it. Otherwise it's just, it's not good for them. So I would really like to see the culture shift in that way where we're just more accepting of people's differences. And I think what you said about slavery is correct in a lot of ways, right? Because I think that's really where this perception of Black people or Caribbean people, whatever, the populations of people that are occupying the Caribbean islands were there for a very specific purpose and we weren't really allowed to have roles outside of that set purpose for a long time. And so even though that the overt like structure of that isn't there anymore, the effects of it still linger, especially in the, like, the collective psyche of the people. Yeah. And, yeah, to what degree people recognize it as that is a whole other question. Your answer was way better. It's riffing off <laughs> yours. So this is why it's, I think it's important for us to talk about these things because somebody has a piece of it, somebody else has a piece of it, and then we bring it together and it's like, oh, look, here's the picture, and then we can figure out where we want to go from there. Let's talk a bit about entrepreneurship because that's another one of these things that we definitely need more of in our culture. Um, You mentioned that growing up, you unintentionally started a number of small businesses while you were still in school. Can you tell me about some of those? So in grade four or so, like marbles and tops and Beyblades are like (laughs) Beyblades. Yep. (laughs) They were... And I used to travel ever so often as a kid. And one time we went to Puerto Rico and I don't remember what story we're in, but there was like this massive jar of marbles and they were the most exuberant of colors. I was just like, 
mom, I want that. <laughs> and so she got it for me, thankfully. <laughs> and I went to school one day and they were just like, your marbles are so cool. And I was just like, yeah. They was just like, yeah, I wish I could have some. And I was just like, oh, do you now? <laughs> for the right price. <laughs> I was just like, you have a dollar? <laughs> And so I sold like the entire jar. <laughs> the entire jar. The entire jar. Um, almost, I think. Because at some point in time, I got pulled into the principal's office. I remember that much. And they were just like, we have to call your parents. You can't be doing this. You can't be selling the marbles. You can't be. You're, you're on school premises. You can't be. <laughs> what, if, what if someone decides? They didn't like this marble. I want a, a refund. And I'm just like, no, that's a fight right there. But then I went back to the Seventh-day Adventist school um, in third form. And, like, it was, it was so different from grammar school that it was just like I kind of kept to myself for um, something almost to a year. But I was always drawing in the back of my books. So by the time I got to fourth form and I started making some friends, they were just like, what are you always doing in the back of your book? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, I'm sketching, right? And at that time, I really loved graffiti. I was like, oh, I'm just sketching. And I'd show them my stuff, and they'd be like, oh, this is amazing. And I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> Do you want some? <laughs> and so at the same time, I started doing technical drawing, and I drew... I can't remember what I drew. I drew something on the square. And from that point, it was just like, I want one of those. Everybody's like, I want one of those. So I turned that into a business as well. I think I even got over to Archer School. I did like a T-square for somebody at the Archer School, Archer's Comprehensive School. Wow. So you've been a working artist for a long time. Yeah, I guess so. That's actually really awesome. So... Okay, you just mentioned the difference between moving from grammar school to Seventh-day Adventist school. Um, What were some of the major changes in doing that? The different cultures of the different secondary schools is another one of the things that keeps coming up in these conversations. So, so like, at the Seventh-day Adventist school, art was more accepted, I could say that, um, because it kind of tied into the religion, more or less. I'm a school, although you did art, it, for me personally, I didn't, I didn't make it into third form there. I switched schools. For me personally, I didn't see much art unless I went into the art studio. Um, but at Adventist school, there was art on the walls. Hmm, um, interesting. In the books, there were lots of art, <laughs> forms of art, that is, uh, because it tied into the religious culture as well. So was art one of the deciding factors in you changing school, or was that something else? No, it was it was just me not being able to cope with the grammar school. <laughs> so we've gone through your entrepreneurial past from starting selling marbles all the way up to starting to sell your art in the later years of your high school experience. And now you're an entrepreneur in a more full-fledged way. So I guess what are some of the things that you're working on currently? As I said before, I'm working on creating virtual reality scenes that you can interact with. Uh, So for me, that's kind of like the biggest thing. I guess, what is the application of these virtual reality scenes? What are you hoping that they can actually 
provide for people? Okay, so let me quickly um, provide some clarity on mm-hmm. the distinction. So the virtual CN will not be found on my social medias yet. Those are called renders. And okay. renders are basically still images, um, like render a wall of concrete, create something. Um, those are called renders. The hope is with the renders is to be able to provide other artists with some medium to showcase their work eventually. Um, that's, that's the purpose for the renders. So if it's a visual artist or even if it's a poet um, and I have a, a scene to work on and I want it to be really nice or I just want, or they just approach me and it's like, hey, I have this thing that I want to do. I'd like to be able to provide them with the opportunity to reach individuals or the population, I should say, in another form or way rather than kind of just like putting their work out there. On the um, so that's a render. Virtual reality scenes are things that you can actually interact with. Have you ever played a video game? Yes. <laughs> like Pokemon and that. Um, and you can like literally walk around in this space. You can literally interact with what's happening in this virtual world. Mm-hmm. That is essentially what I'm going for. Just apply to architecture, development, and I guess marketing. My aim for the virtual reality scenes is to really be involved in development here around the Caribbean because it's one thing to, as a designer or architect or engineer, to do this thing in a two-dimensional space versus an omnidimensional space, which is real life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely enables you to really understand space. It could help you minimize mistakes and save you possibly millions of dollars um, if this thing is done correctly, if the virtual scenes are, are done in such meticulous detail, it could definitely be an advantage to anyone who's doing any form of construction or development. You're obviously a hyper-productive kind of person in multiple avenues. What do you do to keep your mindset right for doing the work that you're doing? Great question. Uh, so recently, I've started to pay attention to my mental state more. Um, and even if it's something doing, doing something like taking a run, I will pay attention to how taking that run makes me feel afterwards or in the moment. If it's going for a swim, I will take into consideration that. If I'm doing work and I feel stressed out, I take into consideration all of that. So I've become way more conscious of myself as an individual. And I've, I've, how do I say this? I have taken that and drawn myself, (laughs) I could say, drawn myself, a picture of myself out. And I've learned how to create mechanisms around the stress, mechanisms around the overthinking, mechanisms around the anxiety. Um, One of these things that I do is meditate. Meditating has taught me that there are these things that you cannot control. And there are very few things that you actually can control. Um, Pay attention to those things that you can control. If there's something about yourself that you don't like that's actually toxic, then work on it. Um, So meditation is one. Another thing is assimilating a frame mind of practicality. You have to be so real with yourself that it's scary. 
speak to it. <laughs> um, I think that's the main tool that you have to use. You have to understand that, again, you're human. You're not perfect. And these are your circumstances. You have to know how to cope, learn how to cope within them. You'll have to learn how to push beyond things like your past experiences. You have to learn that there are these things about yourself that may be holding you back, but you'd have to get around them. You'd have to become the version of yourself that you want to be. That's very wise from a 26-year-old. So (laughs) I'm wondering, um, (laughs) how did you find meditation? And Uh, I guess, do you subscribe to any particular school of meditation? Are you, or is it just like, you've learned this frame of mind and you can put yourself in it? Or do you have something that helps you get into that frame? Um, Okay, so the reason why I started meditating was because I have, I suffered from really bad anxiety that I didn't even know that I had. (laughs) I mean, people think that you're like really antsy sometimes, but I'd be like, okay, cool. That's That's just who I am, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're kind of just like, okay, cool, that's how I am. Late last year into the start of this year, it got just like really crippling. And I was just like, no, I have to do something about this. Um, So it was a situation of me just going through blogs, (laughs) going through blogs and YouTube videos. I was just like, what can I do? (laughs) Um, And meditation came up. And it's not a situation where I... Got, delve into it into so much detail as to schools and different types of meditation um, and different practices. It was just the idea of sitting in a space within yourself, knowing that, again, you're human and there are these things that you just cannot control. There, there are these things that will happen. You'll make mistakes and that'll be fine. Um, so it's definitely, it was more intuitive than me going and reading a really detailed book about how to meditate, what positions to use. and Yeah. And the other thing is that a lot of that stuff, the more technical stuff, it doesn't matter as much as the intention that you go into it with. I'm glad that you found something that works for you. And I hope that anyone who's listening to this and is experiencing similar issues with anxiety will try will try meditation yes do that do it and so another thing is you mentioned that it's helped you deal with failures and take lessons from them can you say more about that okay so i have this crazy fear of failure a fear of failure okay it's like this ultimate failure that you experience that's not actually there that's the type of fear it is so that you're afraid that you yourself will be a failure kind of thing like a big Mm -hmm. human being as somebody who operates within society i've always had this fear of failure just crushing failure um and i think that's that that stems from experiences as a kid so eventually i had to learn that your failures are lessons Sure, if there is anything that I have done well unconsciously that I have learned from ever. Even mm-hmm. so if I do it well and I consciously I have a conscious understanding as to how I did it, then there's nothing to learn. 
Because mm-hmm. when I fail at something, and it's especially something like architecture or design, or I write a really bad piece, piece of poetry, it's just like, why did I, why am I doing so poorly? And I'll take that into consideration. And I, it turns into a lesson mm-hmm. because then I will pinpoint things. And I would know how to not make that mistake again. I mean, I may make the mistake again, which is fine. I've come to learn that's fine. But the fact that I've acknowledged it and I've now turned it into a tool that I can utilize, it, it is just the most refreshing thing for me right now in my life, mm-hmm. learning from my failure. Yeah, so you've taken something that was really scary for you and you've turned it into an asset, essentially. Yes. So now whenever one of these things happens, it's like, okay, here is an opportunity and it's not the end of anything. Yeah, you definitely don't have to panic at that point in time. It may seem scary, but you aren't in any real danger. I mean, unless you're about to drive off a cliff. Right, if you fail to break at the edge of a cliff... <laughs> But besides that, um, a lot of it is just psychological fluff that doesn't really exist. So true. That's so true. Our minds can't always tell the difference between like actual physical danger and then just psychological danger. So it treats both things the same way. And you have to be conscious in yourself of when you're going to let that panic response happen because it's a real thing. It's a real threat in your actual environment and something you need to respond to. And when it's just, you know, a threat to your ego or a threat to, you know, your work. Yeah. Um, And so it's definitely something you have to learn. I think every individual has to learn for themselves. Yeah. Um, You can be like, oh, this is a thing as a human being. I know it exists. No, you definitely have to practice it within yourself. I mean, if you're naturally good at that, at, at understanding that there are these psychological um, things that will happen to you and these, these ideas that you create, create within yourself that aren't real and you know how to cope with those things, then fine. But if you know that you're suffering from a problem of, of, of anxiety or a problem relating to anything that that could hold you back and you know for sure that it's not real, it's not a real thing, then you should definitely take it into consideration and take it into your own hands to practice this thing. Do you think that there's a way that we can integrate some of these lessons into the way that we teach our young people so that it's not such a process of everyone kind of discovering it on their own? I can say that I see the necessity for it, obviously. (laughs) Um, Oh, Poetry could be one of those ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the kid, mm-hmm. you could it's from an early age, and she could take very. You could use haikus, really short poems, really simple poems, and you could teach them the lessons via these poems. At that point in time, they may not know what they are. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's so many things that you remember as a kid, um, and you don't even realize it, but you play it out into your adulthood. Um, so that's. So yeah, so that's one way. Uh, having classes around things like meditation or just being conscious of who you are and the role you could possibly play within society would definitely be another way. And uh, the way that could be executed would be probably like after 
class, kind of like after a school lesson, um, maybe let's say you end school early on a Friday and you okay. have an entrepreneurship class, um, a health and wellness class, or whatever the case may be. I think something like that would work as well. Cool. Yeah, I think the poetry idea is really interesting because there are all these poems that like, I remember learning in school and they were just like, whatever, you memorize them, right? But then later in life, I find sometimes there are pieces of them are playing in my head yeah. in a particular exactly. situation. And it's like, okay, I can pull some strength from that. So even as a kid, you're like, what does this mean? What is this? Why am I learning all these weird words? It does sink into your psyche in a really deep way. And I also wanted to ask about your family and just kind of how did all that kind of play out? So yeah, in terms of support, it's been, it's been pretty precarious. It's been rocky. Um, but besides my, <laughs> my parents directly, other people would have been in my family would have been like, yeah, go for it. But again, they are not my parents. So they can, they can afford to be like, yeah, good for you. You're not my kid. Um, but right, I'm not going to have to pay for it. Right, exactly. <laughs> but my aunts, my, my dad's sisters, um, have really been supportive. And, and I think that's mattered quite a bit to me. Uh, so I, I have had some support. And again, my cousin's an architect. So she would have been like, oh, this is really good. Do you know how good you are at this or that? And I'd be like, oh, really? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, That's it's always fun. nice to have that encouragement. It is. I think just being able to speak to someone about what you're going through, I guess it's a form of emotional support. Being able to speak to someone um, about what you're going through, what you may be feeling, things you're confused about, um, really matters. It's almost, sometimes it's almost like a defining line. Uh, when you feel like quitting and the people around you don't support you, um, they don't show up to your events, they don't really care about what you're doing, it's definitely within the environment of quitting. You mm-hmm. Chances are you may quit, even if it's for like a month. <laughs> mm-hmm. But for sure, for sure, you'd be like, I'm done with it, and I quit. Mm-hmm. And that could be really detrimental. Um, so having just having somebody that you can speak to it's great. Somebody you can bounce ideas off of. Somebody that can give you a purview of what you may be doing outside of your own brain. Because again, you will formulate these ideas. You create these things that do not actually exist. You may actually be doing way better mm-hmm. than you think you are in reality. Um, so that's one way. Another way I think is having a mentor. Uh, I've usually been searching for a mentor. People are just like, no, I have no time for you. <laughs> um, but having a mentor and just being able to sit in that environment and seeing that it's possible is amazing. Um, seeing, seeing that they started out from maybe a point that was, quote, unquote, below where you are and knowing that they got to this point is amazing. Uh, so... I would personally say if you can come across somebody who would provide you with some form of mentorship, do it, jump at it, mm-hmm. 100%. You mentioned having a mentor earlier. Um, would you like to say more about that relationship and how it helped you? Um, I didn't say a mentor. I said that she provided some form of mentorship. Oh, okay. You would have been referring to my English. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, he definitely was somebody to inspire you to go the extra mile to follow your dreams or at least get a job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, that she, she definitely provided me with a a very solid foundation as to what one could be doing to achieve some goal that you may have in life recently, uh, approximately six months now, um, I've been working on these two architects and they've been just sitting, again, just sitting down in the space that they're working in and soaking up everything, all the lessons that they have to teach, even if they're not personally speaking to me, seeing the way that they interact with the client or with the situation um, has been very educational for me. Uh, I personally think I've been, which everybody says, I've been learning so much more doing my job than I would have done in school, uh, learning I would have done in school. Um, yeah. I'm learning more quickly than I would have done in school. Um, that also maybe because I'm bad at sitting still. <laughs> when it's school, you have to sit Honestly, still. Honestly, all the most productive people are. <laughs> yeah, I'm so bad at it. Um, but yeah, so I've had these mentors that have taught me things in relation to my craft in terms of finances, in terms of how you deal with clients, uh, how to value yourself. Oh my gosh, how to value yourself. <laughs> that has been so important. Um, and just, just having, again, they've also been implementing this idea of being really pragmatic about the way you go about your life in general. So that's been great. Uh, and I, I, I hope one day I can get to that point where I can be someone else's mentor. It's really nice. You want to pay it forwards. Yes. In closing, I guess, do you, do you have like a piece of advice that was given to you that really helped you in a rough spot? And would you be able to share that? Okay, so what I always do is, I always tell myself is that, one, if it was easy, probably wouldn't have been worth it. And I always attempt to paint a mental picture of what my life would be like if I didn't follow my dreams. That's super cliche, but that is definitely it for me. What would your life be like if you just said, I quit and I'm never going to do this again? I don't think that's cliche at all. I think more people really should think that through. That's a really good one. And if people are listening to this and they're curious to know more about who is Trey Thomas, where can they find you online and get all that good information? Okay, so uh, I'm on Facebook, Trey Thomas. Uh, You can search for me. Uh, But my business is also on social media. You can find me at Instagram, um, at designmill, D-S-I-G-N, mill, M-I-L-L. On Instagram and on Facebook. Pray it was a pleasure meeting you today and having this little chat. I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Thank you. You have a good day as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Grassroots Radio. If you enjoyed the conversation, show some love and help spread the word. You can do that by subscribing on Apple, Google, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Already subscribed? 
consider leaving a five-star review. It helps other people find the show. If you have an idea for someone you want to see featured or a topic you want us to cover, let us know. DM us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at grassrootsANU or email us at thenewgrassroots at gmail.com. For more about NGR, visit us at thenewgrassroots.com. Until next time, this is Grassroots Radio.